like to begin tonight with a quote from Zhuangzi, who was the second great Utah, uh, Taoist master. Bob, I think, quoted from Lao Tzu. This is Zhuangzi's second great Taoist master. He said, I cannot tell if what the world considers happiness is happiness or not. All I know is when I consider the way people go about attaining it, I see them carried away headlong, caught in the general onrush of the human herd, unable to stop themselves or change direction. All the while they claim to be just on the verge of attaining happiness. You might want to let that sit for a minute. I don't know how it lands for you. He nailed me. So there's this human condition that we find ourselves in. right? We've been talking about that a lot. And we're all in this boat together. You know, we're all fellow sufferers. I actually have... Um, uh, one time I opened a Dharma talk by saying, you know, good evening and welcome uh, my fellow sufferers. Um, but I, just, it, it, I don't know if that went that well. <laughs> because, of course, it's not the, only, the whole picture. We're also fellow, I hope all of us at least sometime are fellow experiences of happiness and joy. You know, the whole range of what it is to be a human being. But I was just trying to make that point. The human condition. Let me um, read a, a different quote. This is from my second teacher when I started my meditation practice in 1970. I practiced for a number of years. I, I didn't move into the Buddhist world until the mid to late 70s. I was in more of a Hindu-oriented yoga tradition. Lived in an ashram for some number of years. And this teacher, some of you may have heard of uh, Hari Das, who lives in California in Santa Cruz, and he was a bit important teacher for me, my second teacher. And this is a quote from Hari Das. So some of the language is not so Buddhist, but I don't think it's that far away. So this is Hari Das. He says, Our lives are based on assumptions about ourselves and the world around us that are thoroughly out of touch with reality and seriously impair our ability to function. These are more than intellectual beliefs. Quote, I am a human mind in a human body, unquote. These assumptions are so deeply rooted that few of us would think to question them. Actually, let me stop there for a moment. That's an astounding statement. He's saying the notion, I am a human mind in a human body, is um, thoroughly out of touch with reality and seriously impairs our ability to function. That's a pretty intense statement. Um, I'm sure Haridas wouldn't mind if I um, put my own, added a little something to this book. There's more to the quote I'll come to in a few moments. Because I think what it's really saying is, you are a human mind in a human body. Of course we are. It's not the whole story. And it's one level of what's happening. And really this great exploration that we're on, you know, of when we were talking about that meditation, one of the, you can think of it as turning the mind into an electron microscope. You can also think of it as turning it into a Hubble telescope. And both, sometimes it feels one way or the other. And then what is it we do? Close our eyes turn our attention inward to plumb the depths of our own minds and body, our own being, right? So we come to know on 
this is the, this is the this is the exploration. Well, what is the real nature of my being? Right. So let's just say that um, most of us live on the surface appearance of things. So now we're looking more deeply to find what's a deeper reality about our being and what does life look like to live from that. So I just wanted to put that in context. So let me continue. Haridas goes on. And this is really getting at the heart of what I want to talk about. We live our entire lives from this point of view, seeking those things, people, and situations that make us happy and avoiding those that make us unhappy. But even when the situation seems ideal, there is always the nagging certainty that the security and happiness of the moment will be lost. In truth, we are never truly at peace. There is always something to worry about. Ordinary life is really a constant dilemma. So you can see how that lands for you and if it rings true or not. He says, Spirituality has nothing to do with stoicism, self-denial, or disregard for worldly life. Spirituality means learning to live life as free, conscious, and loving beings instead of from the point of view of dilemma. I'm signed up for that. (laughs) And I love that way of thinking of it. And really, to me... Um, it's, it's a beautiful way to summarize. Um, you know, you'll have to find what you're up to, but w- how, another way we could think of what we're trying to learn or discover is, can we come in the midst of this human condition that was pointed to by Zhuang Su and that Haridas is talking about, in the midst of the way things are, can we learn to live as free conscious and loving beings instead of from the point of view of the dilemma. So, that sounds good. Um, And then we often find that, um, just like I said the other night, it was another way of saying it. We talk about this as a liberation through non-clinging, which is really saying the same thing. And oftentimes you say, that sounds great. This sounds great. And then we find how hard it can be to do. Our, the habitu- excuse me, habituated patterns of our minds, um, places we get caught, all the difficulties and suffering, and not so easy. We're really caught at the effect so much of the time of our situations. So what are some things we can do? What are structures that can help us? And that's what this whole retreat has been about. And so tonight I want to talk about very briefly and just an overview of one particular structure which is called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Some of you have heard this many times and for some of you it will be brand new. I'm going to say the Pali word just because it gets said a lot but don't try to remember this and it's, it, 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 but it's just so you've heard it and you let it go in and out. It's called Satipatthana. Sati means mindfulness. Satipatthana. Foundations of mindfulness. So I'm going to give a very, it's going to be extremely brief and quick, just overview of what these four foundations are, and then mostly talk about how we put them in practice. Because in fact, um, this has been a four foundations of mindfulness retreat. That's what we're doing. 
And in fact, I'm going to argue that you're always, no matter how you're practicing, you're always practicing for foundations of mindfulness. So I'm going to talk about it, and then I'm going to name some of the various ways that it's taught and put into practice, including what we're doing here. So you can be exposed to some other ways that maybe pique your interest. Like maybe you think, oh, this was this great retreat, this steadying the mind, opening the insight, and they were, you know, breath meditation. And then, hmm, you know, Richard, I remember he named another approach, and wow, that sounds interesting. I might want to try that, and maybe it's a good fit for you too. So we'll talk about that and a few other things. And before I actually go through these four, um, of everything that, that we've talked about so far in the retreat, more than anything, this is the piece to not try to remember this. Um, Four foundations of mindfulness, there's a lot of detail in there, and I'm not going to go through all the detail, but don't even remember what was the first foundation, and there's just a lot there, but we're going to take the 30,000-foot view, and we're going to kind of fly by and wave hello and then be on our way, and um, what will happen is if you continue hanging around practicing in our tradition, Many, many times you'll hear talks on the four foundations of mindfulness, and so over time, more stick. You don't have to try to make it stick. It's so important that for people who are longer-term serious practitioners, um, I recommend it's a place to actually do a little study, and there's a number of books on it. And we can come to a place of fluency, so you don't have to try to remember. It's all there. It's just there. That's a longer-term process. But even if you're going to go try and memorize all this stuff, this retreat is not the time. Okay, so I'll, I know I'm kind of hitting on this over and over, but really, just let it come in, let it go. Okay. So the first foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body. And I won't go through all of it, but basically it's, it, it's even subdivided into six different practices. And the first practice is mindfulness of breathing which we've been emphasizing here. And just to give you a flavor of it, the next foundation is called the four postures. Sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. So the idea is, is that we can bring it when we do walking meditation. When you're, you know, we can be aware of the body sitting, so we're bringing the mindfulness just into all of these different movements. Third, third, third practice in this first foundation is then they call, I guess, all activities. So there's a whole specific list when you're going toileting, bathing, eating. But basically, it, it comprises just all activities is what it's talking about. Right? And then there's some other practices in there. Some of you actually were at the retreat that Bob and I talked about last year. and We actually went through some of the others. They're specialized, and I won't go into them tonight. So first foundation, foundation is just mindful of the body however we experience our body. Second foundation, Bob mentioned briefly, but um, um, just very briefly, and it's called, if you're interested in Pali, it's Vedana, or it's a V's or a W pronunci pronunciation from a Burmese, either way, Vedana, Vedana. And it's translated as feelings or feeling tone. But it doesn't refer to feelings in the way we typically use it mean moods or emotions, it specifically means that every experience is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Actually, we say neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. It's in between. And so you'll notice as you, whatever happens to you, it's the breath, it's an emotion, 
It's a body sensation. And you can also be aware of the fact that, so say I've got knee pain. There's the there's first foundation of mindfulness, of, of the body. Stabbing, tearing, burning, aching. Second foundation is the fact that it's unpleasant. It's simple, that's it. Okay, so that's the first two foundations. By the way, while, why that's a, a particularly useful foundation to tend to is sometimes we get caught in a suffering, either we're grasping and clinging for something because it's pleasant, or we're really in a fight with ourselves or with some experience, and it's unpleasant, and we don't notice. And then all of a sudden we're aware, oh, it's unpleasant, and it unmasks a level of aversion we hadn't seen. Or we notice, oh, this is really pleasant, and it can reveal a level of grasping and clinging for more. You know, I remember, I don't know, one retreat, uh, I was getting into new territory in the concentration, and it was great. It was opening up and blissful, and it was everything that I had wanted and hoped would happen and more. And still, sitting there in the hall, I remember the words came up with, in the tone of voice, I'm going to say, more. <laughs> <laughs> And then I kind of woke up out of the trance and, 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 you know, having some experience with it. Yeah, this is pleasant. And the mind's ton huts. It's craving more. And what was a wholesome, we want to have these experiences when they're there, just like I've been talking about all week, it turned into a grasping of my greedy mind kicked in. It's kind of like my young son, who is just amazing. He's three. And he said to me, he wanted cookies, and something came out with cookies, he started eating it. Couldn't believe the wisdom, or maybe it's just the innocence of a child. He said to me, Daddy, he says, you know, I love cookies. And he started eating, he says, the more I eat, the more I want, and the more I want, the more I eat. It's like, and I just thought, and the more I, he started going, the more I eat, the more I want. And it's, it's like, that, that's the whole Dharma. <laughs> So this second foundation is important just to notice the pleasant and unpleasant and what it, how it conditions the mind for craving or clinging. Or, okay. you know, first foundation, body. Second is this pleasant, unpleasant, this feeling tone. Third foundation, word in Pali, chitta, which is translated as heart or mind or heart slash mind. It's not referring to thoughts, but mind states. And so there's a particular list that's given. So it's like, is greed, hatred, and delusion present in the mind or not? Is the mind expanded or contracted? Is it concentrated or is it not concentrated? Is it liberated? Is it contracted? So this is a list like that. Where that's important is we connect with an experience, but also sometimes it's, it's good to be aware of what's the attitude of mind we're bringing to meet the experience. If there's some greed, hatred, or we call ignorance or delusion that's in there, that's coloring how we meet the experience and, and it will in, 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 inform or affect how we work with what's going on. Anyway, that's just very brief on the third foundation. And then the fourth foundation is called dhammas. So there's the word dharma, Sanskrit and Pali, dhamma. And the word has a lot of meanings. It's the truth. It's the teachings. Sometimes it has the meaning as it does here. Things. 
just things, but on a real elemental level, like fundamental particles in physics or something. So it's kind of that level of things. And it's hard to talk about this, this briefly, but basically, you know, Buddhism is often called a list of li a religion of lists. And, and there literally are lists of lists, that is true. This is one of the lists of lists. So there's five lists of qualities that are in here. I'm not going to name them, but I'm going to give you a sense of it. Um, four noble truths. I'm going to give it out of order. Well, the five hindrances are in there. What's called the five aggregates is a way of sort of deconstructing our minds and bodies. We don't, it's beyond what we're doing on this retreat. Six sense bases. What are the six senses? Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, the normal five. And then the six is the mind. It's considered a sense door because experience comes into the mind. So we have the senses. There's what's called the seven factors of enlightenment. We're not going to go into that on this retreat, but it's extremely one of the most important lists. And then finally, there's the Four Noble Truths and includes the Eightfold Path. So there's a lot in this fourth foundation. Sometimes it's thought that the first three foundations, it's taught in a way that that's what you practice. Mindfulness of the body, feeling tone, states of the mind, and then it opens up to the realization of the fourth foundation. Or you can practice with it, but give, to give you an idea, it's not only knowing, for example, the list of the five hindrances. It's not only knowing if something's going on. You want to know, oh, there's sloth and torpor, or there's doubt, or there's aversion, right? Or, or wanting greed, that kind of mind. So we need to know when it's there in the mind. But also, it adds more. It wants us to, to know what are the things that tend to make the hindrances come up? And what are the ways that we can practice in a way that tends to let them let go of the hindrances or subside? So that's part of the wisdom. With the six senses, just to give you a taste, it's, it's not only knowing so you can be mindful when you're seeing, you know seeing, seeing. You're actually mindful of the, not only the content, but the process of seeing itself. When hearing is happening, we know hearing. So again, it's not the blue jays or the roosters are bothering us, but there's just the process of hearing and not so much the content. It's not only being mindful of that, but um, it's also knowing, they call it the fetter that arises in relation. What that means is where we get hooked. So for example, if there's um, some person here on retreat, say for example, and every time you see them, it's either Bob talked about the Vipassana romance or the Vipassana vendetta. You really, really don't like them or really hate them. I mean, you really love them and it stirs your mind up and you know that. So that's fourth foundation of mindfulness. That's all that's happening. Seeing happens if we're mindful. What's the fetter? Where do I get caught? When I see that person, ah, ill will arises in the mind or whatever. When I see that person, you know, wanting arises in the mind. So then we have to decide what's, now that we, what's skillful. Oh, we're both in the noon lunch. Ah, I think I'll start switch. I'll switch over and go to the 12.30 lunch. I won't see that person, maybe, or whatever. Oh, they're sitting near me in the hall. I'll move back there or something. So we, 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 it's how to work skillfully. So that wasn't even close to doing justice to it. I mean, I just really, but you can see and there's a lot more complexity that I didn't even touch on. But I think the main idea is, is that it's meant to cover in a structured, systematic way, every, as every aspect of 
our experience I can think of and how to work with it mindfully. Okay? So, let all that go out of your mind. I mean, really try to maybe take a few breaths or whatever. <laughs> because when you're practicing, you don't want to meditate in a way and try to, be, if it's all there and you're fluent in, in it, there's no effort. It's just known and seen, and really that, that happens. But if you're trying to remember, okay, what was this? You're stirring your mind up. It's not so helpful. <clears throat> so I'd like to name a few different ways. I'd like to name a few different ways that I've seen the four foundations of mindfulness taught. So a typical way the four, that, that it's taught is you come on a retreat like this, and just like we're doing here, oftentimes you'll be instructed to spend the first day, first couple of days, giving strong preference to the breath. So there's first, first exercise in the first foundation of mindfulness. And then let everything stay in the background. And once you start to get more settled through using the breath, then they'll open the awareness up and they may say, um, start being, remind people to be more aware of the four postures. Or in all your activities, maybe after a few days when you're settled enough to, to be able to do it. And then maybe after two or three days, they might open it up and say, start to notice when pleasant or unpleasant or in, in between, neutral is there. And then later, they might open it up to the third foundation and say, uh, okay, now we can start to be aware of states of the mind. It's a little subtler. so, And they'll just work the progression that way. And um, if they do that, some teachers will still suggests that you still have uh, preference for the breath kind of as a home base to come back to if you need to or if nothing else is really up that strongly. But if other things are up, they're not keeping the breath going. You let go of the breath and you really turn your awareness to other body sensations in the first foundation or to states of the mind, you know, or to the pleasant unpleasantness, and, and then you can always come back to the breath, but it's, there's no preference for the breath anymore, and it's just being mindful moment to moment of whatever's predominant in your awareness. The typical way for foundation of mindfulness is taught. Um, another way that it's often taught is some teachers, while they include everything, really focus mostly on one of the foundations. Right? So, teacher who's been popular these days, an Asian teacher, Utejaniya, some of you know of. He's really gives a lot of focus to the third foundation of mindfulness. He's, seen, and he's interested in all, but putting a lot of emphasis to just more than anything else, just being aware of the state of mind. And that's the whole practice. And when you people, some of you may have practiced with him, some go to Asia and come back and say, well, you know, people talk, it's not that silent, and you can, you know, there's some sitting, but it's not, that's not important. You can, whatever. It's just be mindful moment to moment what's happening in your mind. It's not about samadhi, nothing. Others might be really focused on the body and a lot of different body practices. So if you do like a body scan kind of practice, it's just mindfulness of the body is focusing on. Right? And of course, through doing any of the, focusing on any one, you'll still have times, just like if you're focusing on breath here, you'll still have times when you're aware of some of these others will come up. So maybe... Um, you know, you're being mindful of the third foundation of states of the mind. But of course, if there's knee pain, you'll be aware of that too. So each, any one of these could be a doorway that opens up into everything else. That's one way it's taught. It can also be taught 
where you actually can work systematically through it where, okay, now we're going to do breath and now we're consciously moving to, to the next step. It's a little subtler, right? When you first arrive, may not seem that subtle now, but it can feel very subtle to be able to be more aware when you're moving about as opposed to just sitting. Then you get a little more stable and it's like now we can be more aware of uh, all activities. We get a little deeper and now maybe we're more able to be aware, a little subtler, where the pleasant, unpleasant feeling tone. Maybe it's a little subtler after that. Now we can consciously be more aware of states of the mind. So it's more of a systematic stepping through. It can be taught that way. All of the ways I just mentioned, and there's more, but are what I would call prescriptive. They're prescribing how ways to uh, practice. I'd like to offer another way, which is actually the way we've been teaching here, which is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's describing what happens when you just practice mindfulness of breathing. So let me ask you a question. Is it, actually, let me ask it this way. Isn't it true that just by paying attention to your breath and really giving it, again, because we don't cling to the breath, but we give it pretty darn strong preference. Isn't it true just by that, that when, if there's pleasant, unpleasant, or in between, you're just naturally more aware of that when you're concentrated? Isn't it true that you're just through being with the breath, you're naturally aware of other body sensations that are happening, whether you're sitting or you're moving around and can be more mindful? Isn't it true that just through the breath, you're naturally more aware if greed, hatred, delusion is kind of a tricky one because, but greed and hatred is present in the mind. If you're deluded, it sort of undercuts the discerning power to see that you're deluded. Right? And it can, or sometimes we can be aware of being uh, deluded. There's actually, just as a little aside, in, in, there's many ways people categorize different personality types and they're just structures or tools. We don't want to box us in too rigidly, but Buddhism has a, has a way that they say everyone is either a greed, hatred, or delusion type. And we all have all of them, but um, we have a predominant, I'm a delusion type. Uh, so, you know, it's about a third, a third. And so the way you know is if you walk into a room and you just notice all the things you like about it, just how beautiful, you're, you're a greed type. <laughs> Wow, but and it's, it's, you're not doing anything wrong, and you don't even notice it. It's just how it lands for you. Wow, these plants are beautiful. If you walk into a room and you notice everything, so some of you are going to relate to this, all the things that are wrong with the room. Right? You know, it's, the floors are a little, it feels cold with all this wood, or, or you know, like, why don't they put a tonka up there on the walls? It's kind of bare or whatever, or the temperatures, and you, you're, uh, um, re, re, hatred or aversion type. And then, you know, I walk in the room and I don't notice nothing. <laughs> Give you an example. Um, I've been, of course, on retreats a lot, but I've taught a lot of retreats sitting up here and get to look out. And one day, after many years, someone said something about, well, you know how most retreats are about maybe two-thirds women and one-third men? And I just said, uh, uh, really? And... <laughs> 
they are? And then everybody sat around the tables going, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I came and sort of looked out, and I was all of a sudden like, wow, you know what? It's, it's two-thirds women, one-third men. We're talking about because here it's, it's flipped. I think we're over half men. And so, uh, but I didn't notice it was just, and I didn't notice I wasn't noticing. Once we become aware of how the mind works, we can be aware of where it's present. So what we're practicing here is, and, and the suttas are very clear. Mindfulness of breathing, it's not the best approach. It's not the only approach. It's one that's talked about a lot. I don't know that there's another practice that shows up as often in, in the suttas. And actually, every time I'm aware of when the Buddha would talk about what he did himself, we don't really know what he did. But he'd say, um, if you need me, I'll be off practicing mindfulness of breathing. And that shows up several times in the suttas. It doesn't mean it's the best or the only practice. And he praised many kinds of practices and taught them. But what we're doing here when we're, when we're bringing these two together is we're, we're practicing four foundations of mindfulness just through the breathing because we're, we're consciously planting the seeds in our mind to be open and receptive to all the other things that open and reveal themselves naturally through the breath. And it's what we've been talking about. It gives us the concentration edge too. And so we can lean, as we've been talking about, on the pure concentration side. But it also naturally opens up to the whole four foundations of mindfulness. You're experiencing it yourself. I've started practicing in 1970, so I've been practicing uh, 41 years. My whole practice has always been breath meditation. That's it. That's been my whole practice. But that's not exactly accurate. Because when you say that, people say, what? You're not paying attention, not being mindful of anything else? Well, no, actually, to tell you the truth, my whole practice has been for foundation of mindfulness practice. Through the breath, I found that, and I needed some guidance, maybe like we're doing here, but you can steer open and then everything's there. And sometimes it's not about the breath so much and you really are working with whatever else and all that. Sometimes, you know, it's no breath at all and we just have to go sob on our bed or whatever. And, or just when I was lying in, in that example I gave when I was burning in a mind of hatred, you know, I just laid on the bed and it wasn't about breath. It was just letting that, letting it just burn and feeling the suffering of it. Sometimes we don't say that to beginners, but for you, sometimes what we need to do, you know, people get kind of weird when you say, you know, sometimes you just need to let it burn. Let it just burn you to a crisp and feel. What's it like when, you know, I've had a lot of times where there's something and I know I need to let go of it. It's not just a mind to hate. I'm just clinging to something. I know I'm clinging to it. I know it creates suffering. And something in the mind's not ready to let go. It's like I'm holding a burning coal. You know, if you had a burning coal in your hand, nobody has to tell you, you know, I better let go. It just happens. Nobody has to say anything. But we don't see the liability because whatever payoff, if I, don't know, if I can say it that way, that we think is coming to us, um, is still, the allure is still there. So sometimes, again, we have to be skillful. And again, I, I wouldn't say this maybe in a general group, but we're all experienced meditators here. So for you, I can say, when it's appropriate, using your own discernment, it may help us to let it burn. Be judicious about that. Don't go overboard. But sometimes it can be a tool in our toolkit. Right? And it can serve to let us know, like, God, you know, the suffering's like worse than what I think I'm going to get. 
And maybe it can serve in the letting go and then the liberation comes and the relief. We're on a whole other level. So now I want to offer something that's controversial. I just want to say that to you. I want to go back to something I said on the opening night that typically mindfulness, and in particular the four foundations of mindfulness, which is an elaboration of mindfulness practices associated with insight meditation and concentrations taught us something else. But I, and I'm not the only one, there's plenty of people, but certainly around our tradition, there aren't that many more if you were in Asia who would say what I'm about to say. I see, I don't see four foundations of mindfulness as insight practice. I see four foundations of mindfulness as the practice that leads to right concentration of the Eightfold Path, which is defined as a tranquility and insight yoked evenly together. That's a different view. Four foundation mindfulness is the practice and really, we're even refining a little more through the mindfulness of breathing, which the suttas are explicit, actually fulfills the whole four foundation and seven factors of enlightenment anyway. Through mindfulness of breathing, we cultivate the four foundations of mindfulness. And it takes us to, in the way we're teaching on this retreat, it takes us to a fulfillment of right samadhi of the Eightfold Path right concentration, which I'm defining as both insight and the tranquility together. Different take. That may resonate for you or not. So I just wanted to sort of put it out as something that if it's of interest, it's a different perspective. So how do we apply this moving forward as coming to the ending part of the talk? I want to propose that you're always practicing mindfulness Four foundation of mindfulness anytime you're mindful at all. So, first of all, I have to ask a question. When we're meditating, what is the instruction when you're supposed to be with your breath and you forget and you're lost off in thought? What's the instruction? Anybody want to? Come back. Come back, right. Come back to the breath. That's right. It was a trick question. Because, of course, we all say come back. Actually, when you're, there is no instruction when you're lost in thought. You're just gone. You don't even know you're gone. There's no instruction. Instruction kicks in when you're back. You're already back. We say, come back to the breath. You're already back. We can't give you instruction when you're lost. (laughs) So now I want to say something. We can apply it to retreat, but also to daily life. What can happen in retreat? People can sometimes struggle to try and not get lost and to stay mindful. And in daily life practice, people can struggle to stay mindful. And matter of fact, I know people have tried all these tricks. Somebody I knew put all these little sticky pads everywhere in their house. So when they would see it, the idea would it'd be like a mindfulness bell. What they told me after a few days, they just didn't see the sticky pads anymore. So I'm not against working hard to try and stay mindful, but boy, that's just exhausting. I want to offer a different perspective. So I, I'm respectful of that path. I'm not belittling it. I'm just being a little humorous. But um, I want to offer a different perspective. When you're gone, whether it's on retreat or in daily life, don't worry about it. Just be gone. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop it. You don't know when it's going to happen. And when you're back, you don't have to make a big struggle either because you're, you're, now you're back. Use the time well. Don't get all uptight. Just now you're practicing four foundations of mindfulness. Don't like get all tense to stay before you space in the three breaths before you go. Use the time when you're back. 
And the more we keep practicing, it naturally opens up. So aren't you more mindful more of the time than you were three days ago? I know you're still gone a lot of the time. I remember sitting in this hall many years ago, sitting the, in the fall, they have a three-month retreat. And I'd be sitting across here like five weeks and I said to the teacher during the Q&A time in the morning, and I raised my hand and I said, I, I'm really feeling some despair. I can't make it from my cushion through the lunch line in perfect mindfulness. Can't do it. I start walking and there's whatever, there's some woman or there's a note on the board or I don't like this or I'm looking out. I can't make it. I said, if I can't do that here after whatever four weeks, five weeks practice with an intention, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm just going to, what am I going to do in daily life? And the teacher said, well, you know what? You're right. It is too much. But don't think of it like that. Just get up and start applying your mindfulness and you'll get as many steps as you get. When you wake up, you may find yourself further along. You wake up and, wow, I'm here. I was there. I'm here. <laughs> Continue on. Use what you have. And what happens is, just like on retreat and in daily life, as the stream of Dharma wakes up and the stream of Samadhi, we find that we're naturally, because now we want to have some real practice in daily life, we're going to talk about a lot of that towards the end of the retreat. How do we keep this alive in daily life? And we can keep it alive in daily life. We will keep it alive in daily life. But we find that we use the, we do practices which strengthen our concentration, our mindfulness, our clear comprehension. And through that, it just keeps building the times when we are present and we use it well. And so here on retreat, or let, let's just go to daily life for a minute. Suppose you don't have any concentration, whatever that means. You're back to whatever daily life consciousness is. And you know, you're, you're mindful, you're trying to practice, but it feels very feeble. No, the whole, um, and you say you get caught up in some argument with someone. The whole four foundations of mindfulness are there. Greed, hatred, and delusion arising in the mind, third foundation of mindfulness. Uh, your belly's tightening up, you've got first foundation of mindfulness. Um, hindrances up, hatred, fourth foundation of mindfulness. Uh, fetter, if I see that so-and-so again, it's got, okay, uh, eye door, fetter, uh, third foundation of mindfulness, is the mind concentrated or not? No, terrible, no concentration. <laughs> Didn't tell you to have concentration, it's no if the mind's concentrated, no if it's not concentrated. Even if it feels feeble, which is just our judgment, you're fully practicing four foundation mindfulness with whatever level of samadhi and mindfulness you have to bring to bear. So daily life practice isn't like watered down or not as good. When you're here on retreat, in the times when, the way we say it, I, I mentioned this list, seven factors of enlightenment. Sometimes you'll hear say, it's firing on all seven cylinders. That basically means uh, uh, treat's going well. <laughs> you're, having, you're, in the, you're in the zone. Then you have a lot of resources to bring to bear. The, the mind's clear and steady. And that'll be one level that you meet your experience. And when it's falling apart, quote unquote, it's not really, it's just what's happening. Maybe it feels like, or you're, you know, you're in the swamp, and it feels like you can't do much, but no, everything you need's there. I can still feel my breath, I only get two or three, and I can't really connect, but that's, I'm still first foundation of mindfulness. Body hurts, 
unpleasant. There's the Vedna, second foundation. It's all there. I'm pissed off at the person who told me to come and sign up for this <laughs> retreat, and I can't do it. And you know, it's 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 all there. So. I want to leave you with, the, I, where I'm trying to lead this to is, I, some people are really inspired right now. You know, I've been talking to a lot of people today. Some people are, you know, some are in heaven, some in hell, some in between, some are struggling. Sometimes we judge ourselves by how well or poorly we think we're doing it. And I may have mentioned this earlier in the retreat. I can't remember. So it might be a repeat, but it bears repeating. Remember I said you're the least qualified to judge? I might have said that at the closing one night. Some of you might not have been here. I can't remember when I said it. The Buddha recommended that we not judge ourselves or compare with others and everything. It's just a suffering generator. But since we're going to do it anyway, my suggestion is a more accurate or more what's deeply true measure is nothing with how well or poorly it's you think you're showing up and doing it. It's through your intention. How it shows up is just the habit, habit patterns of mind. That's what we're working on. Right? We're working on it. But your intention, and I know we're all a mix of motivations and intentions. I, yeah, yeah, I know. Everyone here has a, has a sincere intention. There's not a single person in this room who's not signed up for. How can I learn to live life as a free, conscious, and loving being instead of from the point of view of dilemma? That's true for everybody in this room. I know that for a fact. That's your sincere intention. We want to keep that intention alive and we drive it as a stake in the ground. So when the storm clouds hit, we hold on to that thing. It's like being lashed to the main mass so we don't get swept overboard by the storm because we're in touch with our intentions alive. When we're beating ourselves up and we think we're not worthy or good enough, we get back and say, well, wait a minute, what's my intention here? You know what, I do have a good heart and a sincere intention. And if you don't think you do, we said, you know, we, we might not take some notes for tomorrow. If that's true for you, I want you to leave me a note. Everyone can see their goodness. Sometimes we need a little help. And we stay in touch with our intention and let that, the more it's alive for us to inform our actions, and then we just do the best we can. Right? We do the best we can. And remember I said the other day, we're all doing the best we can. So we want to remember that. It's not judging it by how good the samadhi is. It's our ability to show up with the distractions, with the, undis I mean, with the, un with both. <laughs> so let's sit quietly for a few moments.
as we're sitting. Uh, I'll take just about one minute, please, or less. Please take a few moments to reflect that we have all, you have, we have all used our time wisely today. We're not done with the day, of course, but reflecting back. You know, we kept showing up the best we could. We've all used our time well. We've all had a sincere good intention. We want to feel the goodness of that, get in touch with that. Even if you're really suffering, you know what? You've sincerely applied yourself in the best you can. You've planted the chili seed. You've prepared the soil. You've watered it. You're protecting it from insects. You've done everything. May the power of our sincere intentions be the cause and condition for ourselves and bringing ourselves and others uh, to a deeper place of peace and happiness and to an end of suffering. Thank you all for your kind attention and for your practice. So um, now we're already partway into the walking period. Halfway into the walking period. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.